theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to all and to each of you. So we're up to Dafyut Ches, the second column, right? The Maimir of Shmini Levyasun, Yud Ches, column two, or page 35, column two. We'll learn a few lines from the, there's a Haggah here, a, uh, a parenthesis that was added by the Tzamech Tzedek, the grandson of the Balatanya, probably added by him, who usually gives references and elaborations and sources. So I just want to learn a few lines from here. So we said that Leviason, the word Leviason is associated with the word Levi, his chabrus. When, when you link, when you connect, when you unite and integrate things together, like hapam yilove ishi'elayin, that's where the word levyosin comes from, which is reflective of the central idea conveyed in the beginning, earlier in the Maimah, which we discussed the last two days, that there are the tzaddikim, individuals in this world, souls, who are called nuneyama, the fish of the sea, who represent levyosin, and their primary avoid is internal, uh, concealed, like fish in the water, concealed by the water. Their primary work is spiritual work, internal work. And he said, and they actually connect the worlds with the Ein Saif because to touch the divine, to really touch the divine, as he said, you can't, to touch the divine, touching the divine happens through their Avaida, which is one of Ruchnius, one of spirituality, one of godliness. And that's what they represent. So he says in the footnote that we know the Gemara says in Meseches Avodah that there's 12 hours in the day. And uh, they're divided by units of three hours. Three, six, nine, and twelve, four units. So the first three hours, the Gemara says Hashem sits and learns Torah. And uh, the se- second set of three hours, uh, he's, uh, Yoshev huh? Edon judges the world. I guess monitors what is going on in the world. Sees what, what is needed, what is, what is, you know, <laughs> what's fake news, what's real news, what should be real news, what should be fake news. That's midday. And then you have the second, the third set of three hours, with just for sake of simplicity, it would be from 12 to 3. He says he's Yoshev he nurtures, he makes sure everybody has their nutrients, their food. aim from the wild ox until the eggs of the lice, Beit Sekinim. And then there's Revi which means the fourth set of three hours, let's say from 3 to 6. Is Mesachikim Levyasan. He toys, plays with the Levyasan. That's what the Gemara says in Avodah Zarah. So he continues, he says, Vihine begimul shoyis revi'i sunikru samach lemincha, kedi isa begemara reish perik arvipsachim. The third, the fourth set of three hours is also in halacha, it's called the time that samach lemincha, close to mincha. As the Gemara Explains in the beginning of Mesechus Arvips, in, in the beginning of the Perik Arvipsach, in the 10th chapter of Mesech Tepsach. What he means here is, there are two times for Mincha. There's what's called Mincha Gedayla, which means an early Mincha when you still have a big day ahead of you, which would be if midday, if afternoon is 12, that would begin 
And then there's Mincha Ketana, which is actually the primary time for Mincha. It means a small Mincha because there's only a little part of the day left afterwards. And that's nine and a half hours. Not six and a half hours, but nine and a half hours from the beginning of the day. So if the day would begin at six, it wouldn't be 12.30, but it would be 3.30, right? Nine and a half hours. The reason for these times is Mincha was instituted for the Tamar Shalbein Harabayim, for the afternoon carbon Tamid, the lamb that was offered every afternoon. Now the time to bring it was after midday. So you could bring it from 12.30 and on, after midday, because you wanted to make sure midday has passed already and there were no clocks. So after midday, 12.30 and on. But usually they wouldn't bring it at 12.30 because once they brought the carbon Tamar Shalbein Harabayim, this was close-off time. Afterwards, uh, the void is over, no more offerings, right? We say every morning, Aleha hashlem kolakabonas kulam. She is the last one. We say in Abaya have a Masada, right? Va'arach Aleha Ayla Victor, Aleha Chalve Ashlamim, Aleha hashlem. It's always the sandwich, the, all the offerings are sandwiched between the two tmidim, the tamid in the morning, which was done right away in the morning, and the tamid in the afternoon. So once you brought the later tamid, there were no more karbanas, they usually didn't bring it 12.30. The time was Erev Pesach, when they had to rush in a lot of karbanas Pesach, they would do it earlier. But usually the time that they would slaughter it was eight and a half hours, and the offering, the actual offering, sprinkling the blood and putting the flesh on, was nine and a half hours. So that's the time for Mincha. Nine and a half hours, which means... 3.30. What's Samach Lamincha? Samach Lamincha means a half an hour before Mincha. So when the Mishnah says, Arve Pesachim, Samach Lamincha, Erev Pesach, close to the time of Mincha, you shouldn't eat, you shouldn't have a meal, till it gets dark, in order to build up an appetite for the Seder and for eating of the Matzah, Chiv of Mitzvah, as Rashi and Rashbam explain there. So what's Samach Lamincha? Samach Lamincha means... A half an hour before Mincha. That's how Chaz de Gemara in Psachim interprets the words Samach Mincha. Now, what does this mean? If the time of playing with the Levyasan is the fourth set of three hours, so you have six to nine, and then you have nine to twelve, and then you have twelve to three, and then three o'clock starts the time of playing with the Levyasan. That is Samach Mincha. That's called Samach Mincha. In Halacha, three o'clock is already not seen as three o'clock. It's already seen as, it's a psashidach with mincha. It's close to mincha, because it's within the few minutes, within the hour, a half an hour before mincha. So it comes out that the time to play with the Leviathan is samach mincha. Gimel shoyis reviyas. That's what he means. What's samach mincha? The Yitzchak tikkent filis mincha. The Gemara Vaitis says, who instituted mincha? Gemara in Brachas. You have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Yitzhak instituted Phyllis Mincha. Avram is Shachris. Yitzhak Mincha. The Gemara learns it out from the Psukim. Yaakov Mayriv, right? By, by Yitzhak, it says, Vayetze Yitzhak Lasuach Basada Lifnois Erev. And Parshas Chayasar, Yitzhak went to meditate, to have a conversation. Suach from the word Sicha. Conversation, meditation in the field before evening, meaning in the afternoon. And that's where he, he sees camels coming, and that's where he meets he meets Rivka at Gidgedavent. It was a good mincha, apparently. Uh, and and this is when this is mincha. That's why that's why we have a mincha. Via the Yitzchak Kolosh and Schoik v'Schoik. 
The word Yitzchak, the name Yitzchak, is a derivative from the concept, from the term of Tzchoik, which is laughter, and Tzchoik, which is kvelling, toying, playing, pleasure, delight. Kamashakasov, as the Pasuk says clearly, Sarah says Tzchoik, Asaliyalakim. Hashem has created laughter for me. He has generated laughter. At Kala Shemeya Yitzchakli. So the time of Mincha and Samach Mincha is the time of Yitzchak. It's the time of Tzchoik. It's the time of Mesachik. Tzchoik and Tzchoik are very similar. At Ozimali Tzchoik Pinu, it's a time to play, to toy with the Levyasim. Obviously, there's a thematic connection here between the concept of Tzchoik and the concept of Livyasan and the concept of Yitzchak, which is all connected, all connected to Mincha. One of the explanations, one of the explanations, which we discussed a few times in the past, my Maram about Yitzchak, including the Maimim Mayim Rabim in Parshas Chayesara, I think it was, which is that laughter is generated usually from that which is unexpected, unpredictable. Right? What makes people you say somebody has a good sense of humor. What does it mean you have a good sense of humor? <laughs> this person doesn't have a sense of humor. This person has a... Humor, the ability of humor is to... Um, it's hard to define. How do you define humor? I don't know how you define it. It's not such a scientific uh, concept. But you say a person's sense of humor, they'll take up a situation and, you know, people are angry and frustrated and annoyed and they'll they'll view it from a particular perspective. They'll give it a spin. They'll, they'll, uh, they have their own spin on things. Huh? They say the truth. It's the truth, but it's, you know, it's a unique, it's a perspective. It's perspective. Any joke, any comedy, what generates the, the chords of laughter in our psyche is surprise, suspense, unpredictability. If you hear the punch, if you heard the joke a few times, unless the person is really a master in saying it over, you're not going to get a laugh again. Because the, the entire power of a good joke is the punchline. How you say it. The punchline and how you say it. It builds a certain suspense. Why? It's not predictable. If it's predictable, it's not funny. It's always something, you know, it's like the, that chap, that unique punchline. And that's generally what all comedy is in one form or another. So all things that are unpredictable, unlikely to happen, the merging of paradoxes, is the concept of Tzchoik. Yitzchak is the person of Mesiris Nefesh. Yitzchak was ready to sacrifice himself. And that left a mark on him for the rest of his life. He's called an Oyla Tmima. Even after he came down from the altar, he didn't really come down from the altar. He remained there on some levels. He's called an Oyla Tmima. He's always called a carbon. In fact, he wasn't allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael because of it. His father and his son left Eretz Yisrael. But Yitzchak can't leave. Gur ba'aretz hazoiz. Rashi says, ain't chutz la'aretz. Kedailach. Because like a carbon, you don't take a carbon out of Yerushalayim. If you take the flesh of a carbon out of Yerushalayim, it's nifsel b'yotz, it becomes disqualified. It's, it's allergic. It has to remain in a holy ambiance. Right? You take it out to a different atmosphere and it gets affected. And you can't eat it anymore. You have to burn it. That's the halacha. Yitzchak was that carbon. Yitzchak was that person. You know, certain people are sensitive. They have to remain in a certain ambiance. You take them out from there. 
it's uh, it's it's contrary to who they are. It's contrary to their design. It's contrary to their chemistry. The ultimate, the most unpredictable thing in life, the most unpredictable thing in this world is human heroism, human idealism, human selflessness. Because the natural state of the jungle is egotism, self-preservation. And when somebody can exercise the muscle of idealism, it generates the deepest cosmic laughter. Which is why people are drawn very much to heroic stories, heroic novels, heroic documentaries, heroic films, heroic illustrations. People have a tremendous, tremendous pleasure from it. Why? The blood, the violence, war, war stories. It's because there's a very deep craving in the person's, in the person's soul for heroism. Now, very seldom do people... Not, all, not so seldom, depends on the, the milieu, but I guess especially in our generation, heroism is expressed mostly in different ways because most of us don't live in, uh, thank God, in war-torn societies where you have to exercise heroism every step of the way. It doesn't have that drama and, that, uh, and the tragic component of it. So we often live uh, vicariously <laughs> through other people's stories. But heroism strikes a very deep chord. Why would Yitzchak be called laughter? Yitzchak is, uh, doesn't seem like the most humorous character in the Tanakh, if I can express myself that way. On the contrary, Yitzchak is midas hakvura, Yitzchak is intense, Yitzchak is introspective. But the truth is that the ultimate tzchok, the greatest tzchok, the greatest tzchok in the world is dveikus. The ability of a person to transcend their natural uh, zoological characteristics as part of the animal species where we focus on one thing, self-preservation and self-gratification. Like every animal. But you're saying to Svaris that it's A, it's because of the, so to speak, surprise ending or the surprise element that gives us the biggest gishmat, but also because we crave it for ourselves. That's not the same Svaris. Those are two different things. Enjoying the surprise, like, whoa, I can't believe I, I actually am seeing this. You know, the, the surprise element versus the sort of craving in terms of reaching it for ourselves. It's not the same sara. Right. Ah? What did you say? Surprise yourself. Um, okay, very good. Thank you for the brisk question. Very good. But it was just a, a, a hisafa. The point is that human idealism generates a special tainug because it's really not expected. It's not part of the pattern. Right? I was being moisif that this is also something that is a very deep tainuk for ourselves. Supplementing that, it's a very, it generates, so to speak, a pleasure within ourselves. It's something that the human being, not schoik as a joke, but schoik as something that creates very deep ecstasy in a person. And that's why we're very often overwhelmed from emotion and moved by these types of stories. Even though it's not my story, and it's not just the drama of it, that too. You know, the, the drama of it and the suspense, and you know, if he's going to live, he's not going to live. But it's also the living at the edge, you know, soldiers who go to battle. It, people get nourishment from it, and they don't even know why. It's sometimes very subconscious. It's because everybody wants to, everybody wants to transcend 
transcendence is something that lay deep in the soul, but not, we often don't have an opportunity, or we're lazy, or we don't believe we can, or we don't know how to, or whatever the reason is, or we're bogged down by too many other issues. So we often do it through other people, which is, of course, not the real thing, but it's uh, some, uh, some hashlama. So you're saying humor and heroism create the same chemical reaction of uh, ecstasy or unexpected or I know you have to ask a neuroscientist. You want to know if humor and heroism create the same chemical reaction? Uh, I don't know. I can't be so bold to say it. We have here a doctor. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, It's like love and chocolate create the same chemical reaction. So. Love and chocolate create the same chemical reaction, yeah. And humor and heroism both start with an H. Right? So, uh, so is Haman. And, so Haman and high, getting high too, right? <laughs> and holy, right. And probably some other interesting words. The guy who won the Nobel Prize, Eric Kandel, for the brilliant guy in Colombia, is one of my teachers. I can actually call him. He's, I don't think there's anybody alive who knows much about the science about that. Right. So, Tzchoyk Asali Alekim. So the Balatanya says that Alekim is Midas HaTzimtzum. It's the attribute of, of concealment, like we learned many times. The greatest tzchayk comes when a person can transcend the concealment. The greatest concealment is that a human being looks at himself and sees himself just as a piece of flesh and blood, like just a regular mortal person, soulless. And when a person can break through that concealment and apathy and discover their true depth and their true infinity and their true greatness, that is the greatest punchline of existence. So before the world was created, everything was predictable. is the purpose of creation. Ha'adam is not just male. Ha'adam is the Adam. Adam ha'elyon. Ha'elyon. is the natural state. God is alone. Everything. He said it's not good that Ha'adam should be ezer. I want to create an assist, a help, kinegdoi, from having an opposition. Kinegdoi means that which is opposite. Ezer, the greatest help, comes kinegdoi, because it's the opposition, the concealment that creates the tzchoik, that there is otherness, there is a human being, and the human being is egocentric. And egocentricity is woven into the very fabric of existence. I care about me, you care about you. It's ego, very egotistical. I, 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 that's how, how the world runs. I care about me, 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 me. When somebody is egotistical, when somebody is selfish, it's not surprising. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. I care about me, you care about you. I want to protect my territory, you protect your territory. You ever see how lions protect their territories in the jungle? Everybody is territorial. And the moment I feel you're crossing boundaries, you know, it's either fight or flight, defense mechanisms, and that's how we build ourselves up. But the great schoik of life, the great laughter of life is the unpredictable punchline that a person could be not selfish, that a person could surprise his nature, that my angels can surprise my demons. Yeah. I once heard Ayid, he said, uh, he, he grew up in the world of chassidus and then he went into the secular world. He was once lecturing and uh, he said, 
He said, what's the common denominator of all Hasidic stories? You know, all the Hasidic spices you hear by Rebbe's Sadiqim. He says, there's one common denominator. It was just a very powerful definition. He said, the soul surprises the mind. The soul surprises the mind. Can your soul surprise your mind? Can your neshama, can your soul surprise yourself? It's like, of course, I could, you know... Two people get into a fight. Okay, what else is new? Shekayach, right? You don't have shalom bias. Okay, what else is new? You're upset, you're furious. This is normal. These are human, these are the normal human emotions. We live in, in, in fragmented world. Can you surprise yourself? Surprise yourself means be heroic, transcend the natural pattern. The natural pattern is you'll end up in this place. You'll end up in this quagmire. Yitzchak is the ability to startle myself. And to create a different punchline than is expected. That's what ultimate tzchayk is. And in many ways, that underlies the purpose of creation. Tzchayk asaliyah which can only happen through the ezer kenegdai, through the concealment, through the opposition that comes from alekim. Because when there's complete revelation, it's not, it's not unexpected. It's normal. It's part of the common uh, pattern. And essentially, every day, there's always that opportunity. Sometimes it's on a lower level, it's on a higher level, but I can always surprise myself, transcend myself. So the ultimate dveikus, the intimacy, that a soul can go into the water when you're on dry land, you could submerge yourself in the source of life, that leviyosin is associated with schoik, with schoik, which is why it's connected also to the time of Mincha, of Yitzchak. If you could turn to page, the next page, page 36, it's a long footnote here with many side and not and parenthetical and not parenthetical references and explanations with uh, somewhat mystical, but I want to go to uh, four lines, one, two, three, five lines from the top, page 36. This is all part of a footnote, a Haggad of the Tzamech Tzedek. When he published Lekodotayda, he put in parentheses footnotes to his grandfather's discourses. Gam yesh loimar pirush avoidu ruchnes and shamashem chanes levyasam. Another component in the Avoidah of Leviathan, in addition to what he discussed before, which was the Bittel Hayesh Ta'ayin Bechal Ma'idecha, is Al Derech Mashakasa Bishulchanarach Erechayim Simon Sadik Ches. In Shulchanarach Erechayim Simon Sadik Ches, Hilchas Tfila. It's uh, quite an interesting Sif in Shulchanarach, fascinating Sif. It discusses what davening is supposed to look like. This is Shulchanarach, this is not a uh, Kabbalistic work. It's not Kisvei Arizal, it's not Siddur Ashash. So he says over there that uh, Tfilah, the concept of Tfilah really uh, requires or is an opportunity for what the Shulchan Aruch calls Ispashtos Hagashmias. And this is its terminology in Shulchan Aruch. As much as I think it comes from Benu Yoyna, Ispashtos Hagashmias means the ability to divest from my material conception of the world. And the Shulchan Aruch says, Ispashtos Hagashmias Karav Lamailas Hanavua. It's, prox- it's, it's close to the quality of Navua prophecy. When we hear about Navua, it's very alien to us. A Navi prophecy, I mean, right? I once heard a speaker get up and it was very noisy and he said, I'm hearing voices and I'm not a prophet. We, uh, we don't, we have a hard time understanding what, what's Navua. But the truth is, what is Navua? Navua means that your antennas are fine tuned that they can 
pick up the divine music vibrating in the world. Imagine that you are a radio. You are a radio, a receptor. And there's beautiful music playing, but there's static. You know, you hear the music through the radio and it's static. So you say, what's those those ridiculous, disturbing, frustrating sounds? Now the truth is it's beautiful symphony. It's just your radio is not tuned. So what you're picking up is static. If you can fine-tune it and get the right dial exactly. Remember how the old radios would work? Today people don't have to do it anymore. But you get the exact right dial and suddenly it's beautiful music. So you could hear it, you can absorb it. The Navi, there was no static, so he could just hear. There was no static. So the real concept of tefillah is to go to a place without static, so that the radio receptor can, can absorb and channel the divine music. Huh? The same wavelengths, right. To create a seamless flow, to align yourself with the, with the wavelengths of the divine vibrations that are always in the world. Now, there's, of course, so many levels of Navu, but that's the concept of Navu, and it is deeper and deeper and deeper. You have the Navu of Moshe Rabbeinu, Kol Anavim Nisnabu Bekoi, Moshe Rabbeinu, but that's why the Shulchan Aruch compares davening to Navu, because really what davening means is, the first thing is to try to remove the static. The static to be able to tune in to your own music, to your soul's music, which is God's music, the Dvar Hashem. So, It's similar to what Priyat Chaim is one of the works of the Arizal that was written by Reb Chaim Vital. And he says the Al Harizal. Reb Chaim Vital says that it was one Shabbos afternoon and I saw my Rebbe, Reb Yitzchak Luria. The Arizal's name was Reb Yitzchak Luria, Reb Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi. I saw him doze off. I saw him nap, fall asleep. And he was, he was talking and his, his lips were moving. And then when he woke up, I asked him, what did you, uh, what did you hear? What did you see? So my Rebbe told me, this is the beginning of the story. I'm just, but here he does the end. My Rebbe told me, It was just for a few minutes, or a few seconds, that if I would speak for 80 years, I couldn't tell you what I just experienced, what I just saw. So the concept of, 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 of he, he's trying to describe the souls of Leviathan are always entombed. They're, they're in that space. That's why it's called Livyasan. They're like the fish in the water where we wouldn't be able to survive because it's the concept of Hispashtus Hagashmias, Karov Lamailas Hanavua. Vihini Amr the Gemara says over there in Avoidazarid of Gimel, Mishacharov Besamikdash ain't schoik. After the Khurban Besamikdash, this laughter has been obliterated. So what does he now do from 3 o'clock p.m.? Rabbi Shalom sits with children and teaches them Torah. So this means that playing with the Leviathan is somewhat compensated by sitting with children and teaching children Torah to Neikosh Abbas Rabbah. Probably connected to the fact that children know how to laugh too. Right. The Gemara says after the Churban Beis there's no schoik, there's no laughter because of the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. So what does he do now? Yoshev HaMolamet in Neikosh Abbas Rabbah he sits and learns. So Leviathan is alone now? The Leviathan, you're saying. The element of schoik, the element of the sachik by the, the, the ecstasy, the pleasure, it was compromised after the Churban Beis Hamikdash. 
there's a certain brokenness in the world because of Golos. Okay, at Kanaga. Ah, however, Liyos, Kiyo Elam Gashmi. But since our world is a material world, if anybody didn't know, he's a sex of Sachidish, yeah? For some people, it's a chiddush. Since our world is a gashmi material, you knew that the Moshe that our world is a gashmi. Okay. Therefore, even though we spoke about the tzaddikim who are the levyasons of the world, the nuneyame, the fish, they may be walking on dry land, but essentially they live in alma diskasya. They live submerged in the source, and their whole experience of Avodah Hashem is primarily internal and spiritual. And they connect the world with Ein Saif, and as he said, they live in Almedes Kasya, in a concealed realm that's called the state of Leviathan, in perpetual dvekus, intimacy. But since our world is physical, so therefore there's a whole other group. We need the tzaddikim, the good people, the souls that Avodah is begashmis. Their primary avoid is within the material world. Lakaya mitzvah maisiyas, observing mitzvah maisiyas. Mitzvah maisiyas means mitzvahs in the realm of the practical world. We spoke about Rashbi in the cave. We spoke about Moshe in the water. But then there's the mitzvah maisiyas. Vuhu shamer azal, and this is what Chazal say. Omud echot. There is a pillar. But tzaddik shmoi, and the name of this pillar is tzaddik, so to speak. Shalav ha'olam oimid. And on him, the world stands. What's Pshat Shalava Oilam Oimid? That the world, which is a Oilam Hagashmi, the world, which is a physical world, stands on him because you need the person to sublimate and elevate the physical world. And that's why the whole Masha Yeshbaya Bosha Yeshbayam. The Gemara famously says, that whatever exists in the Yabosha exists in the Yam. And the Gemara continues, whatever exists in the Yam exists in the Yabosha. Those who are learning Masech Techula now will soon get to this Gemara, that whatever is Bayam is Bayabosha, whatever is Bayabosha is Bayam. What does this mean on a deeper level? It means on one level, you know, you look at the dry land and there's a big world out there. You look at the Yam, you just see water. But really, if you go into the Yam, you'll see a replica in one way or another, I don't mean an exact replica, in one way or another, of all the types of creatures that exist by Yabosha, you'll have the Bayam. It's a whole, it's a Velt over there. Between all the different types of fish and all the different types of sea creatures and sea lions and different, all types of amphibious creatures and the predators and and uh, and the victims and uh, what are they called? The, the, the reefs over there where they hang out. It's a whole, uh, the vegetation and and all the trees and everything that's there, all the nutrients are there. We're speaking about the fact that there's two types of Avaidas Hashem. There's the Avaidas Hashem in Yam, which is Almadis Kasya, like we spoke, that the fish lives in the water, submerged in the water to the point that you don't even see it. What does this mean in Avaidas Hashem? The person who not only is connected, but the person who's submerged in their source of life to the point that their entire identity is nothing but their source of life. In fact, if their eye would be conspicuous, it would be the end of their life. Because the definition of life is that the eye is not eye, it's completely one with its source. That's the representative of the fish. 
And then you have the Abashas, the exact opposite dimension of life over there. If a person would be submerged in the source of life in earth, Hakalayim and offer, it means that it's already, it's already after 120 years. It means it's the end of their life. At the end of life, the eye becomes submerged in the source. Offer ata vel offer toshuv. But in the process in between, one can't be in the offer. We can't survive that way. We are on top of the offer. Disconnected. Even if we're standing on the earth, it's still something independent. And the definition of life in Yabasha is there's an eye that emerges. There's not complete oneness. There's a sense of, of existence. And that's what the Gashmi means. Gashmi means it's a sense of materialism where you don't see the whole world as just a reflection of the Dvar Hashem of divine energy. We see a different world. We see a world of Gashmi. Imagine our eyes, if we want to use this language, imagine our eyes were, uh, were microscopic eyes. Imagine Hashem created our eyes as microscopes, not as the eyes that we're familiar with, right? And I would look at this room, what would I see? <laughs> huh? I would see a bunch of atoms. Who would I be speaking to? <laughs> Not only would I see a bunch of atoms, of course I would see a bunch of fish, very good. <laughs> Not only a bunch of atoms, 99.9.9999 would be empty space. No reality, empty space, because that's what it is. We don't have microscopic eyes, so now I see tables and people and coffee and mics and video cameras and uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the real world, that's the oil of Magashmi which we live in. Nuneyama means people who live on the dry land, but their vision is a different vision. And when they, when, when they have that vision, it, it creates a different consciousness. You're completely submerged in your source. So you don't have a chiyus that's separate. But then there's the yabosh. So kol mashiyash bayabosh yash bayam. What's the point kol mashiyash bayabosh yash bayam? That ki be'emes tarachliyas havaha. Existence history requires this and requires this. The movement of the tzaddikim, who are called the fish of the sea, is wondrous and extremely lofty. The example would be fish, which are shatim. Shatim means they... Uh, Swim, swim in the sea, kachem shatim. That's how these tzaddikim swim. That's how they move. Ubetisa achas magia la maila maila ugdoila harbe meavoides at tzaddikim shabagashmias simcha bebasur chulish akolamatav madreg. Betisa achas. Today in modern Hebrew, a tisa is a flight, but at this point there was no such a thing as a flight yet. But tisa means a flight. Tisa means with one with one movement, with one tisa, with one movement, with one flight. This tzaddik, like the fish, reaches lamaila maila, reaches tremendously high spaces, completely higher beyond of the avoid of the tzaddikim who focus and live within the material structure of the world. And when they discuss simcha, it's simcha bebasar, it's simcha that you ch- channel through the vehicle of flesh, of the meat of the carbonus, like we learned before, ain't simcha babasar, rather than simcha that is a completely internal experience. Mashenkin he lucham, their movement, the movement of these tzaddikim, is, which is not lamata madrega. it's not in a lower space, but 
It's in a much deeper way. It's like the fish. The distances with which fish cover the planet is extraordinary. Swimming from one side of the planet, one side of the world, one side of the earth, to the other side, through the oceans. These tzaddikim, their spiritual movement is betisa achas. Mit'ein shup beloshen yiddish. You know what a shup is? Swoop. With one swoop. Beloshen yiddish or beloshen ashkenaz. With one swoop. The Maharil, the Alter Rebbe's brother, wrote this Hanocha. And his brother, Alter Rebbe, spoke in Yiddish. He didn't speak in Loshen Kaidish. My Marum was said in Yiddish. But he wrote them in Loshen Kaidish. But he wanted to uh, capture, he wanted to capture the real meaning. So therefore here, he didn't just want to use the word betisa. So he quoted the words how he said in the mind, it ain't shup, with one swoop, like we would say, one swoop, one movement, and you're, you're, you're far, far ahead. You reach great distances very, very swiftly. If we want to use this language, you're not pulled back by the forces of gravity. <laughs> you know, once you get out of, once you get out of the atmosphere where gravity doesn't pull you down, now it's a whole different level of movement. It's like an outer space. So here we're not talking about outer space, we're talking under the water. But the dog operates in a completely different way than the mammal or the insect or the rodent or the domesticated animal or undomesticated animal who, who lives here. The ox, uh, the, we're talking about the ox, the bull. It's the dog. Question, question. But going back to the beginning of Myra, but even these sadikim, whose internal life and the way they do a mitzvah is different because of the way they channel things. But they're not like Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai. He didn't have the lulav. He didn't have the yayin. Right. These tzaddikim still are doing the maizim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rashbi, Rashbi was just a dramatic example because there you see it where there was nothing else, only the internal. You're right. The Arizal, right, had matzah. He had, kid, he had wine for Kiddush. But that's the point. That even if, if he may be eating the matzah, the primary, the primary experience is one that's internal. Where the other one, the primary experience of life is within the physical, within the physical realm, as he will elaborate. So that's the dag who goes mit ancient. Bemela, betisa achas, with one swoop, oilim umagiyim lamaila maila. Fascinatingly, it's not hot-blooded, it's cold-blooded. The amphibious creatures, which are cold-blooded. Kridus hadamim. I saw in one of the Hanachis, in one of the t- versions of the Maimer, I think written by the Mittler Rebbe, the Tzamech because there's a few versions of this. So in parentheses he writes, mit kalte blut. <laughs> he also didn't want, he writes in parentheses, kalte blut, mit kalte blut, cold-blooded. We look at hot blood, passion. Basar and Yayin represents, as he puts it, rishveyesh, a glowing flame, or shalheves, a fiery passion. He says, their avoida of the Nunayam is not with his slavos. It's not with his fire. It's not with retichas hadamim. The blood is, is, is boiling. 
like the avoid of the tzaddikim and gashmis who are dealing with bosser and yayin, which represents fire and passion. On the contrary, it's kridus. It seems very cold. And nachas. Nachas is very calm, very serene. Which means on the outside, you may not see anything. On the outside, you may not... There's a word that Balatanya said once. He said, what did Moshe Rabbeinu look like Bashas Matan what a, that's an interesting question. I never thought of, but that's what he said. He said, "At ice you cooked via stickle eyes. Ice, a stickle eye, fafroden, faglivet via stickle eyes. He looked frozen like a piece of ice. What does this mean? Ah, kerach orlikan, the Balatanya. I have to find that I saw it many years ago. Uh, what, what, what? One of the explanations is." Very often, when we see passion, it means excitement. When you see cold-bloodedness, it's like ap- apathy. What do you say? If it's movement, and I think as, as things cool down, they stop being disorganized. It becomes much more organized. Right, right. What, what we learned about ice and water, right? Water, the atoms are chaotic. Ice becomes very, very orderly, extremely orderly. Which is very interesting. But that's the fact. It becomes mamish, it's like organized, like shuras, shuras, like no, no, no chaos. It's extremely organized. There's also something deeper, which is also connected to it. Of course, passion means you're excited. But all excitement comes, again, from a certain surprise. You're overcoming a barrier. All excitement, the world is spilus. What's his spilus? The Gemara describes ben ben the difference of Yeshaya and Yecheskel. Yeshaya, his vision of heaven is a few verses. Yecheskel is, is elaborate. So Yecheskel is very excited. So the Gemara says, because Yecheskel was ben He came from the village, and one day he saw the palace. Ooh, he doesn't stop talking about it. He grew up there. Right? You know when the tourist comes the first time to New York? Yeah? They take pictures of everything. You've been in New York for 50 years. You never took a picture in your life. Right? They snap pictures. But you go to Europe. You take pictures of everything. Yeah? You see a monument. You take pictures. Yeah? I was, I was in Manhattan a few weeks ago on Shabbos near the Pear Hotel. And there's the statue. How many times did I see it? I never thought of taking a picture. And everybody's taking pictures there. There's a difference. He grew up in the palace. Ben His spilus, the word his spilus means. What's his spilus? It comes from the word pu'ula. It's affecting you. Why is it affecting you? Because it's novel. It's dramatic. If you grew up with it, you take it for granted. All his spilus, all passion, comes from excitement. What's the excitement? The excitement is, it's unusual. It's something new. It's something powerful. And I'm struggling with something. You didn't see a close friend maybe for two years, three years, four years, and then you see them from far, and you give a scream. What's the scream? There's a certain shock. It's a certain overwhelming emotion that takes you over. It takes you out of your regular regular reality. That's what his spilus is. That's what passion is. So passion is a wonderful thing, but passion by definition represents that I'm overcoming my ordinary identity 
and reaching out or experiencing something new, something novel, something dramatic, which is overwhelming. There's something called dveikus, not hispilus. Dveikus means oneness. Once I meet that person, I haven't seen a few, and we hug, and we're together, you stop screaming. Now you should scream. Now you don't scream. If you start screaming, there's something off. <laughs> your airport analogy, because when you see a kid coming from Israel, and you're waving and screaming when they're far. When you come close, you just stop screaming. You don't hug your child after not seeing them in three years, and you scream, what should I what why? Why is that? Shrei, shrei gesundheit. You want to scream? Scream. Because the screaming is the distance. The scream is a reflection of distance. Dveikus, there's no screaming. It's complete oneness. That's how you explain the Shmon Esrei. The silence. The silence of Shmon Esrei. The Shmon Esrei. Shmon Esrei's silence. Called Mamadaka. So Eliyohan, there's the vision of Eliyohan already, he sees an earthquake and he sees a storm and he sees a volcano and he thinks this is God. Still, silent voice. And the Gemara brings in brachas, Rapshashas couldn't see. Right, and the Tzduki went, he went with a Tzduki to see the king and the entourage was coming. And here's the king, no, 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 this is not the king. This is not the king. The motorcade, the, the schleppers, the fifers, the trumpets, this is not the king. And then it was quiet. He says, this is the king. He says, you're blind. <laughs> but sometimes, right, a person who doesn't see has more vision than a person who sees. There's sight and there's vision. So he understood. He said, Malchusa the Arake, Malchusa the Rakia. Kingship down here is a reflection from kingship up there. It's called Momadaka. It's silence. Noise represents excitement. Excitement means I'm connected or I'm trying to be connected. I'm overcoming the natural distance and that's what generates noise. There's friction. You hear? Why? The table is resisting. The table says, you're a yesh. You're not just going to break me. I, I fight back. That's the noise. I may win. I may lose. But there's friction. But here there's no friction because Avir is Oir Yud. Avir is more edel. Avir is more bottled. So there's no, he's not fighting back. So there's no noise. Why is there no noise? Because there's no resistance. The Balatanya says when you burn a log, you burn a log, there's a lot of noise, right? You burn straw, there's a sizzle. You burn oil, silence. The log has a fine yesh, it's an ego. I'm not going to go down quietly. I may be burned, but there's fire, there's friction. All fire comes from friction. And that's the power of passion. So a Jew who is, lives in the world of Gashmi, and he overcomes it, there's a fire, there's a passion. What's the fire, what's the passion? The fire the passion is... Getting through to the log. You want to penetrate the bustle. You want to penetrate the log. There's fire. There's passion. But then there's something much deeper. It's a cult. Kriris. It looks like nothing because this dveikus is so deep that there's nothing. There's no reflection. There's no sound. You don't see anything. You don't feel anything. It looks boring, monotonous because there's oneness. You ever watch a fish in water? 
I had a student once. He was in NYU. He was a student of, he was a valedictorian and he was a, a student of psychology in NYU. And he was doing very, very well. Seemed like he'll have a bright future. In any case, his mazel, a Chabadnik, asked him to put on tefillin one uh, Friday afternoon outside of NYU, and he did. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. He got very emotional. He wanted to know what this is. He, went, he ended up in yeshiva. <laughs> he ended up as a student of mine. And he was gewaldik matzliach in learning. Today's our yeshiva. is uh, a fine yid. An ehrlich yid, an oved Hashem. So, uh, so I asked him about his childhood. So he grew up in a conservative temple. They would go Shabbos morning. They would go to a conservative temple in New Jersey. And he said by Musaf, they would sing Vishamru. And he said there were 300 people in the synagogue. And they would sing, how do they do? Uh, not Vishamru, Yismechu. And they'd like a choir, everyone would say, Yismechu v'malachuscha. And then he said, 300 people. Shomrei, 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 Shabbos v'koirei, Oinek. And then their shul would finish, they would go into the car and go home. So he said when he was a little kid, he once turned to his mother and said, we just were screaming Shomrei Shabbos. How do we get into a car afterwards? Why was screaming Shomrei Shabbos get into a car? So she says, stop, uh, stop with these questions. So this was Nibba Vilayada Maniba, that he's going to give his mother a lot of headaches. So, uh, so I asked him once how he compares, you know, his former life, his present life. So he gave me a very interesting analogy. When he was four years old, he wanted very much a goldfish, a fish tank with a goldfish. And he asked his mother a few times, and she said, for your birthday. When he had his fourth or fifth birthday, she bought him a goldfish. And he, he's an introspective person, he told me he would watch this goldfish for many hours as a little kid. He loved the water and the goldfish and just watching it and feeding it. And he saw that the goldfish could remain in one place for 10 hours, 12 hours, 20 hours, and then swim to the other side. <laughs> there would be another day or two days or a week. And he felt that the fish is very bored. So after thinking for a while why the fish is so bored and probably depressed and therefore doesn't want to move, because when people are depressed, they stay in one place. It's called bed. So he was thinking what this fish needs to give it simchas achayim. And then he realized that the fish doesn't have a chava, the fish doesn't have a friend. So he decided he will be the fish's friend and celebrate with it. It just doesn't be a maizu He was four years old. He opened the fish tank. He took out the fish. He put it on the floor and it started to jump. You ever saw it? It started to jump. Ah, mechay, it came to life. So he ran to his mother in the kitchen. And he said, Ma, you won't believe how excited the fish is to have company. She says, what happened? She says, I took it out, and it's jumping, flapping on the ground. She says, oi, oi, oi. And she runs in with him to the dining room where the fish tank was. And in his words, it breathed its last breath. And yizkadal, v'yizkadash, it was time to call the Hever Kadesha. Atkan, this is the story. This is the story. She said, from that story I learned that you could look at two people. One person is calm, remains in one place and in the same place for many days, many weeks, many years. And their life seems so uh, 
uneventful. Another person is jumping all over the place. At the surface, one is depressed, dead, lifeless, numb, bored, monotonous, and the other one is full of life. If you understand a little deeper, you know, one of them is busy living, and one of them is busy dying. Sometimes excitement has nothing to do with life, it has to do with death. There are people, their lives are very, very exciting, very adventurous. They're never in the same place two nights in a row. You know such people? Every night they're somewhere else. Every day they're somewhere else. They're never with the same person two days in a row. Because they're very adventurous people. They're very excited people. And then there's other people who have the same routine for 80, 90 years. At the surface, this is a life. This is a boring life. It's the opposite. One is busy dying. He's busy dying. Every day he needs new excitement. The poor fish, the poor fish was jumping, yearning for some oxygen, for some chius. <laughs> So today I jump here, I jump there, I jump there. Why? Because I'm not in my water. I'm not in my element. I don't know who I am. The goldfish in the tank, it knows who it is. I'm a fish. I'm a fish. And I want to be in water. Give me my water. This is where I live. This is where I come to life. The calmness is not a reflection of numbness. The calmness is a reflection of oneness. Of being one. Now, this doesn't mean that every person who sits in one place is alive. <laughs> there are people who are in the same place in the water. They're also dead. We know that. But my point is it's not always a simon. You have a Jew. Every morning he does the same thing for years and years. Every night he's in the same place. He's connected to the same realities, the same people, the same truth. But he's alive. Why? Because it's not imposed on him from the outside. There's dvekas. This is who I am. And then there's another person, is umetum, met alamen, everywhere with everybody, there's nothing there. He's looking for fun because he has no happiness. He's looking for excitement because he doesn't know who he is. You have it in spiritual, in spiritual realms too. There are people who are always jumping. They jump from here and there, they hear this, you go here, my life, my gate to this. Why? Just give me some oxygen. Give me, I just want to feel something. Anything, anything. And then there's a fish in water. This is what this guy told me. He learned at the age of four. <laughs> now what does thou, to take this one step deeper, it's a very profound lesson in life, many areas in life. Talk about the stability of marriage, for example, versus the adventurous life where you're constantly exploring. Right? Some people say, why are you tying me down? I have to come home, my children, my wife. I'm not interested. I'm an explorer. <laughs> I'm a free spirit. I'm a bohemian. I'm uninhibited. It's great to be a free spirit. It's great to be uninhibited. Just make sure you're not busy dying. Make sure you're busy living. Because very often the name of inhibitedness is the name we use for not having a place, not knowing who I am, and just simply needing distractions. One distraction, another distraction, another distraction. It's a very subtle, subtle... Uh, it's something you can get confused on. In Ruchnius itself, in spirituality itself, in holiness itself, you have these tubchinas. On a much higher level, of course. On a much higher level. You have the fire, and you have the water. You have the hot blood, and you have the cold blood. 
So when we say in Yiddish, a cold-blooded person, it's not a compliment. Fire is warmth, it's passion. We're here, we're talking on a much deeper level. This is not cold-bloodedness that comes from apathy, indifference. I'm cold, I'm unmoved. It comes because I'm completely one. And therefore, there's no friction. There's no hispilus, there's dveikus. There's no distance. Because there's no distance, you won't see the fire. Because it's completely oneness. In complete oneness, there's no passion. Not because there's no passion, because it's deeper than passion. Passion is always the I trying to reach the thou. The I trying to touch the thou. Thou is you. The I trying to touch thou creates passion. If I'm interested. (laughs) If I'm not, it doesn't. Dveikus means the I and the thou have become one. So there's no fire because there's no noise, because there's no friction, because there's no resistance. It's complete oneness. It's complete vacuous. At such a moment to make noise is actually disrespectful. It means you're not there. Throughout Jewish history, there were people, tzaddikim, great people, they were daven, but koile koilos, jump and dance and make with their hands and shuckle, mamish with koilos abrakim, and clap and scream and holler. Others, when they davened, you saw nothing. You looked, mamish nothing. It was the most simple fashion, most simple uh, movements. You mamish, you looked, and you couldn't see anything. So if you have a superficial vision, you say, this one is excited. This one is probably not too excited, just waiting to get it over with. And that's sometimes the case with people. <laughs> not everybody who's not excited is having dvekas. <laughs> Some people are not excited because they couldn't care less, right? Not everybody who sits, sometimes a fish in the water is dead. <laughs> not everybody who sits quietly is excited. They're just waiting for it to be over. I know from experience. But there's something much deeper. When there's real dvekas, you won't, you won't see much. You will not see much. You will not see anything. It's going to be benachas. And that's the pshat. Divrei chachamim benachas nishmayim. Wise words are spoken with nachas. Why? Because if there's real wisdom behind you, you don't have to scream. I was once giving a sermon somewhere and I raised my voice as I sometimes do. And a lawyer came over to me and said, listen, Rabbi, let me tell you what they taught me in Columbia Law School. When the argument, when the law is on your side in court, you yell the law. Just scream, this is the law. When the law is not on your side, but emotions are on your side, you know, it's emotional. He says, you yell emotions, just yell emotions. You know, speak about, speak about the emotions of people. When neither is on your side, then just yell. <laughs> just yell. Yell. And you'll see, that's what lawyers do. They start, Sometimes screaming comes from less substance to more screaming. Sometimes you hear people, they're screaming. If you would have what to say, you wouldn't have to scream. <laughs> because your words would have substance. How do you explain, like, the British ever, Rabbi Akiva used to walk around the store, the, the great Tzadikim who 
That's what you think. There's different types of tzaddikim. There's ain't simchala babasar, hispilus, and dveikus. There's different. Sometimes in one person, there's different avoidus. So even on a lower level, the more I'm one with something, the more nachas. Right? The screaming is overcoming some resistance. In, in, in real oneness, there's nachas. It's always very serene. It's very quiet. I know it's contrary to uh, a lot of the cultures we're familiar with and a lot of ideas we grew up with, but this is, a tr- this is the truth. It's a pnimi is the truth. It's not a chitzani is the truth. Don't look at it from a chitzani is the point of view. What looks good. So yeah, there's an external, an external, from an external perspective, the passion is much greater. From an internal perspective, the serenity is much deeper. But it's not about fooling yourself. In other words, when a person is in a state of basar, right, then they need the passion because they're overcoming resistance. They're overcoming resistance. But the fish in the water is very cold, very cold. And with one swoop, he's on the other side of the ocean. In other words, you don't measure movement there by drama and fanfare. Movement happens very, very subtly, very, very internal. With one swoop, the fish is on the other side of the lake. What happened? These fish, even when they're out of water. Yeah, I'm giving the mushal. In the mushal of fish, he's on this side of the lake. And to get to the other side of the lake, there were no koilas, there were no brakim, there was no fanfare, there were no fireworks. We're talking about holy fireworks, not uh, very, very subtle. Okay. In Avoda, in Ruchnius, we have both. It was a very, very big Yisod by the Rav. He gave a very, I have to get it to you, he gave a very famous lecture in Rutgers to, to secular you know, students. Uh, it must have been the maybe late 60s. Straight up. And he spoke about, he based it on, it was a lot of his two Adam stuff, but it was based on the fact that Rashi and Chumash says by um, by Vipach of Ferman Adama, Rashi says Pshup Tupshatin. Either Savar uh, Adama we call Ruchas Olam. He took Afar from Kol Ruchas Olam to create Adam, or not all Afar Mekamakachad Shenemar Mizbach Adama Tasali. Mekam Kaparasa. Yeah. Says because the human is rooted in two places. He wants to explore and see new things, and he's comfortable in the whole cosmos. I like that word. He's comfortable in the whole cosmos. He wants to be everywhere, he wants to be surprised, see new things. But on the other hand, beautiful. Makam Kaparasa. And he says, I forgot who says this. He's rooted. Who said it's not? I forgot. He wants to be just rooted. And he made a whole rush of that. There has to be, you know. Pliny Almighty said it in Rus. He told Boyaz that he's not going to marry Rus because he doesn't want Pen Ashkisas Nachalosi. You know, in terms of the Davoda, is it? You want your home. You want to be home. Home, sweet home. Home, sweet home. It's, it was a famous essay. It was, it's written up. I have to get it. Uh, home, sweet home. Rebaran, you're fine. This doesn't mean you shouldn't be passionate. We're talking about the Leviathans. It's also a new Havana, like in the Carbon Tumid. And, you know, every day just. Tumid. That's. Thank you. Is Rav Jacobson saying it's better to daven like more quiet than? I'm not saying it's better to daven more quiet at all. But that's the Chabad way, right? Based on. I'm describing. I'm describing two states of dveikus with Hashem. One is a spilus. One is dveikus. It's not better. It's 
every time, every person and every time has its avoider. And if that's the person and that's the avoider, then that's the most important. It's not a competition. It's what is the right thing, what is the truth for this person at this moment. It's not right or wrong. Just like this, this nusach of davening and this nusach of davening. It's the same God, right? There's 12 shvatim. They pass in, they're, all, they're all getting through the dam. Even in one person. There's who I am Sunday, there's who I am on Shabbos. This is not to delegitimize chas v'shalom davoid of ispailus. It's to bring out the quality and characteristic of Dveikos. I elaborated on it because we're not so used to this. So that's why I elaborated on it. Because we're used to when you see somebody screaming and hollering, it means they're excited. But sometimes there's a deeper excitement. <laughs> a deeper one. is That's it. But not, God forbid, to delegitimize davening with passion. On the contrary. Not only not to delegitimize it, the person needs to daven with passion. Because let's face it, most of us are not Leviosans. At least not always. So I need to say the words with passion to overcome my animal soul resistance, my laziness, my apathy. Sometimes you got to give a bang on the table. I'm not completely subsumed in the infinity. You understand? I'm in the airport and my child is far away. I do have to scream. What are you, why, why are you so quiet? I kind of sit like... Ugh. You typhus what I'm saying? Isn't it the country? And that's why in davening itself, Pesukah de Zimra says should be bekoil. Quiet. Why? In every davening we have it. Because in every davening we have both. In Psukkah de Zimri and Brichas Krishma, it's his spilus. And davening Shmanesra is you're in the presence of the Shekhinah. You're now Mamash there. You're in Kedush HaKadoshim. Dalif Nemiat now is quiet. When you're coming to the palace, run, scream, trumpet, shifris, jump. When you come into the room, now you're going to be quiet. Not because you have to be quiet. You are quiet. If you're not quiet, it's a little strange. You know what I mean? You're here by the king himself. What are you screaming? You're here. Now it's a different... Well, the davening is set up. So you see, in davening itself, we give the space for both. So even the Badichava and the Kalina, Bashman Esther, they were quiet. You understand what I'm saying? people clapping hands. Well, they, there's the minig, I think, where they do in Breslov, right? The Rosh Hashanah, they applaud uh, when they declare God as a melech. Hamelech, they give him a standing ovation. Something about, about stirring up the air from Eretz Israel, it draws the air from Eretz Israel. Or... I'm, I'm thinking about something different. You said that the meaning of faith, laughter, is unexpected. Of music. The, the, the joy of it is That's true. That's true. It's a different Indian. Music and humor are two separate realities. The joy of music is repetition. The joy of humor is surprise. They both feel. Music. No, he's saying, but even with repetition, there's still a tremendous pleasure. The joy of music has the power of taking to Dvekis. The joy of humor takes you out of depression. It's that spark, that second, that boom, okay. His spilus. That second, that he wakes you up. Saying humor is his spilus and music is Dvekis. 
and I'm thinking of some of these people always running around something called shul hopping. Shul hopping. Some people they never have to be in one place. And I feel so bad for these people because there are times in a person's life the simchas and the opposite of we need the community, community. And they don't have it. When they make a simcha, who's going to come? Nobody knows. But it's okay with and, them. And they're not okay with it. And and when when something bad happens, has shalom. We also need a community. And yeah. Who's going to come? The, the, the truth is, sometimes a person is miserable at home. They don't like it. So they always look for places to go to. Sometimes people, at night, they're bored, they're monotonous. Well, home doesn't mean always home. Some people home means their own heart. Sometimes we're bored in shoes, we go... Okay, that's... Yeah, that's... No, listen, if it's coming because I want to be more alive, then it's a good thing. But if it's coming because... I'm running away. I'm running away. I don't have... I, I could never find myself. I, I, there's nothing I want to be with. I am... Then I have to go... Then I, I'm I'm I'm, not, I'm looking in the wrong place. You run there, you're not going to find it. Now you're always taking yourself with you. Right. So wherever you go, you're going to be as miserable. So that's very important. Sometimes I'm in a job. The job is boring. It's monotonous, right? There's no mitzvah to stay in that job for the next seventy-five years and be bored because the fish stays in water for 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 twenty years. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a place where you're fully alive. So if I'm searching for a new job or a new career, a new position, not because I'm trying to run away from something that I'm not going to escape, an inner you know, discontentment, which I have to work on, but I want to, I, on the contrary, you know, I feel that my ambitions can be used much better and I can be more creative and I can be more actualized, I can be more successful, more interesting things, more interesting company, more beneficial to the world, then these are good types of searches, you know? then it's very good. It's, uh, it's advancing. It's advancing your ultimate goals. I'm talking about the other way around. You know, the fish who comes out of the water, he's not advancing his goals. He's just looking for oxygen. Fresh taste. Ah, they say there was once a bocher, and he went to a yeshiva, and he was there for two months, and I don't like it. He went to another one, two months, I hate this place. And he goes hopping, as you say, from one yeshiva, another yeshiva, another yeshiva. He was a good boy, he's a good head. And he was learning, but he kept on getting bored and miserable. So one day, the last yeshiva, he was about to leave. He went into the Rosh Hashiva to say goodbye. He says, why are you leaving? He says, I'm bored, there's nothing here for me. No friends, no company, no learning. He said, how many yeshivas have you been before? So he told them. So he says, I want to tell you a story. There was once a bird, and the bird made a nest for itself and went to the nest and the bird says it smells horrible I'm going to a new nest builds a new nest this smells horrible and so it goes from nest to nest to nest to nest and everywhere it smells horrible but when it was about to leave the next nest the Rosh Hashiva in the nest says why don't you take a look at uh, your wing <laughs> takes a look at her wing and she sees a big pile of excrement First taste. He says, what was the mistake of this bird? Wherever she flew, she took the bad smell with her. And then she blamed it on the nest. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the nest. <laughs> you got to get rid of your own filth. That's, that's what we're talking about.
running around is not going to help you because it's on my wing. It's on me. <laughs> this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.